2: You're listening to The Sound of London. This is Londonist Out Loud. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe. And this week I'm asking, what does it take to keep a public house, both in the sense of preserving those boozers that have some architectural or design merit, so that future generations can enjoy them, and on a more fundamental level in these tough economic times, keeping the front door open and the booze flowing? Where better to find answers than in Stoke Newington at the Rosen Crown?
0: Hey, baby, let me take it down So we'll play some strange sights and the sound You ain't never seen the light before Just a stone's through from your front
2: Day, but I am in the corner of a pub Getting comfortable And it is a comfortable pub There's a lot of wood panelling here And creaky chairs that you're going to be hearing plenty of And it's been a, a late night for me So I, I think I might just stay here for the rest of the day um, I don't know if my guests are going to be able to do that though. They are Emily G from Historic England And Martin Harley And Martin, you're the landlord here Thanks for having
1: us Morning. Late night for you as well with the rugby yes, Indeed it was um, But uh, all right, we're feeling, we'll battle through We'll, get, we'll do our best <laughs> of course, by the time
2: this goes out, the winners of the rugby will be known. Oh, is that right? right. Yes. Uh, How's it shaping up from yourself? Well,
1: I think I've, I'm going to back England-Wales final, actually, even though controversial as it may seem. That's why I, I still figure now is the time to get your bets on. So if you're hearing this in, after 31st of October, then uh, I can make an complete arse of myself or I could be very clever. So England-Wales final for me. We could edit this to to, uh,
2: (laughs) save your dignity, but with the Rose and Crown in Stoke Newington, and it's before opening time. Why are we here?
3: Um, We're here because this is one of about twenty pubs from the interwar period, which was listed by Historic England on advice of Historic England by the government a few weeks ago and it's one of a a series of what we call reformed or um, improved pubs from the interwar period which was a a new wave of pub building Um, and this is a really lovely and special example so it's been listed at grade two it's on the National Heritage List for England and it's a a really remarkable building as part of an important social movement in that period.
2: And we'll talk about why in great detail no doubt when you say the advice of Historic England where was the impetus for marking these buildings as special where was that coming from?
3: Well Historic England decided to do a a project on the interwar pub around the country a research project so colleagues in our research group did a lot of work looking at the survival of interwar pubs um, their architectural development the the social reason for them why they were a special building type Um, and it's partly because they're under threat Um, it's a building type that we haven't known a huge amount about nationally and um, pubs are closing are, pubs are being demolished, pubs are changing use, and it's really important that Historic England is sort of at the, the leading edge of research into this building type. So colleagues did lots of work to work out how many there were why they were built, who, who designed them, who, which breweries built them. Um, and then from that work, with a really strong kind of national context, we're able to identify the strongest candidates for listing. So of the about 3,000 that were built in the 1920s and 30s, um, we could work out those which survived the best, which were the most architecturally important, and then identify which should be listed. Um, and that's where our team comes in. We're part of the listing group. And so we've looked at all of the pubs. Um, that were identified as the strongest candidates and recommended about 20 for listing um, around the country, but about half of those are in London. um, And they add to... So I think we listed about nine pubs in London from the 1920s and 30s, of which this is one. And that about doubles the number of um, pubs built between the war, which are on the National Heritage List in the capital
2: maybe a good moment to describe the place and i'm conscious martin that you must see this with a very particular
1: eye i mean that's tricky i, I think it's a, it's a an oldie worldy oaky affair really uh um, obviously lots of wood paneling i always i always say it's kind of a it's a real it's a great winter pub really because of the log fires because of the fireplaces because of the oak paneling you know it's no finer place to be late at night when the you know, drinking some mulled wine, sitting next to the fire, with candle's on. You know, and obviously you've got a great view of Church Street because of the, the open window there. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a really kind of uh, a winter-feeling pub. There's no outside space as such. It's a warm pub. It's, it's got a great feeling. You walk in, maybe not 10 o'clock in the morning, but uh, <laughs> certainly late at night when in the winter's evening, when, you know, when it's dark and cold out and you come into a roaring log fire, uh, the, the lights are dimmed. We don't play uh, loud music, so it's all about the ambience, it's all about the atmosphere, it's all about uh, the, the people that drink in the pub and the bar staff, and and actually the atmosphere really. And because it's it conveys that warmth because I think because of the wood and obviously the, the beautiful ceiling and the log fires, you know, it's got a real kind of village feel to the pub actually, rather than you know. Although we're in Stoke Newington, it's still it's still a village, as it were. And it
2: does have that villagey feel as soon as you turn the corner onto Church Street. I know we'll be talking more about the ceiling because there's something special going on there, but when somebody describes to me a pub as being uh, wood panelled, I think of something a lot gloomier than this and a lot more uh, closed in than this, and I notice that there are the beams going across, a double set of beams uh, traversing the room and built into those uh, glass panels, so the light's coming through, the light's reflecting off this ceiling as well, so at the same time as having those qualities that make it a good winter pub, it feels kind of breezy and uh, comfortable in the summertime as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure, Emily, we could probably tell you more about this, but I still think considering it was built in about 1930, this beautiful arch window that we can see, we've got great views of, of Church Street. I mean, most, you know, obviously we've got these views of, of uh, pubs with you, know, you can't see in and, you know, sort of fellas, old boys drinking in there and you can't see what's going on inside. Here, this is obviously 1930. We must have been very unique for its time where you can actually got great views and you can see in and out of the pub. So it is, you're right, it's very airy and very light and bright, but actually you could hide away in the pub Public buys we're sitting currently or you could sit with a great view of what's going on and see the world outside so yeah it's got it covers all bases really
2: i was going to ask you how long you've been here but that's the yeah. easy part of the question the more complex question i guess is what it looks like to be a landlord of a pub in the current environment we hear about pubs going out of right. business left right and center what's been your path to be here and how's, okay. how
1: secure are things generally i could bore you forever on that one um so my parents bought this pub 30 years ago so we moved to stoke in 1985 when i was a wee lad and um i ran it for a few years myself um, back in the day then um i went off and done my own thing i've now got a, a small pub company called london village Inns. Uh, we've got a few pubs around london a couple of craft beer pubs and uh but for here i've seen many many changes over the last 30 years and it is quite a tricky environment the pub business it's not easy i wouldn't necessarily recommend it to anybody. Um, However, you know it's a good business if you get it right. Uh, I've seen many changes over the years. It's a good business to be in. I, I'm a I'm a big fan. I, I love the game, but I think you've got to you've got to enjoy the business. You've got to enjoy what you do. Uh, I've seen for this pub particularly. I remember in 1985 when we took over. I mean, for example, Sunday lunch times, twelve till two. 7 till 10.30, that's when the opening hours were, it was, a different, it was a different period, so people would be knocking on the door at 12 o'clock to get in for their two hours drinking, and then everyone leave at 2 o'clock. Now, it's kind of, it's a different environment, the pubs have changed, people do food more than ever before, so you've got to embrace that, but the old opening on Sunday created a, uh, the Sunday roast, really because all of a sudden people are come to the pub for Sunday Roast. Prior to that, people were actually going home and either having to sleep at 2 o'clock in the afternoon or going home for their roast dinner.
2: And Presumably that gets to be a more cost-effective thing if it's going on
1: all day. I probably wouldn't be in the pub game if it wasn't for the Sunday Roast, but really. We bought we were in the wrestlers in Highgate eight, 18 years ago and uh, it was all about the Sunday Roast, really. I used to do the odd lock-in, to be fair, but uh, it was all about the Sunday Roast and uh, we used to pack them in on a Sunday. That was obviously when the smoking ban was still in, so times were different then. So it wasn't, you know, it was more of a Sunday rush was a big time for food. Now, obviously, you're going to pubs and it's all about food. It's a lot, not all about food, but it's a lot about food. There's a lot of gastro pubs So times have... But the pub has evolved. I've seen a lot of a change in the last 30 years. Unless you keep up, you will kind of die. So the pubs that do struggle probably haven't kept up maybe as well as they probably should have done. And that's embracing the changes, what with the smoking ban that came in. So then you've got to think about what do we do now. So it has gone more foodie. Um, so you have to embrace that. But uh, I think, uh, I mean, here's a tricky one, because this, this we're tight. This is a Heineken-owned pub, so we have a lease. We have a 20-year lease, so we have to buy a beer through Heineken. So we're kind of tied a wee bit on what beer we can, we can stock. You know, it's a bit tricky, especially in your sort of this, where, you know, we've got lots of little small craft Uh, shops and cafes and and pubs and uh so it is difficult so we have to kind of make sure this is as good as we can be so that's why we keep the pub looking fantastic that's why we have we embrace the fact we've got log fires and Mm. we'll make it as homely as, as possible but it's interesting what you say about the
2: attitudes towards what a pub is changing and i wondered how that played into the late in the day it seems awareness that a pub is a building category that needs a little more attention
3: um, well, it's interesting what much I'm saying about food, because the, this part of the Rose and Crown is part of what I call the sort of reformed or improved pub movement which happened between the wars, and and that was doing very similar things to what you've described now it was about making pubs much more friendly family family friendly accessible sort of safe respectable environments um,
2: they had been previously a line of men coming off their work shift uh, putting down the beer
3: i think that yeah they've been essentially they were trying to prevent like huge drunkenness of kind of the, the stereotype of the victorian and the edwardian sort of gym palace um just as a way of bringing bringing families in, bring it, making this more respectable, sort of you know, pleasant places to be. Was it moving towards the idea of a gastro pub at that point? Well, they, they did start to serve food, um, and that was one of the differences. That Rather than just coming and drinking as, as much as alcohol as you could consume in a short period of time, it was about bringing families in, having food. So the improved pubs introduced restaurants, um, sort of luncheon rooms, and also other activities like sports and games. So they're a way of, sort of bringing people in to use pubs for more than just, consuming alcohol and that the architecture really reflected that and that's part of what our research project has identified is that they became bigger buildings much more spacious they had a very interesting sort of um, series of room partitions to allow for different groups of people to be doing different sorts of activities and yeah i
2: was going to ask about that because the ivy house that we visited not yes. so long ago on the podcast had a separate room that had clearly been designed as a it looked like a, a mini mead hall and it had been designed especially for people to eat in so it sounds as though the revolution in more recent years has been to get the food out in and amongst the clientele who are drinking
3: yeah no, that's, a, that's a good point there were very specific functions which happened in each space in the interwar pub and obviously that that's changed over time they've been opened up we can see that partitions here have largely been removed so it is much more in favor of kind of open planning and people do everything in every space you can eat and drink in every space in, a, in most pubs now whereas before it was very um sort of regimented and architecturally defined as to where different groups different classes of people would sit and do different activities so it has opened up the ivy house you're right to reference that it's a really lovely pub of the same period early 1930s the same um, done for the same brewery for truman's by the same architect a.e sewell and that large room last time i was in there i was playing in a, in a big swing band <laughs> in that very large lunch, luncheon room which is now used for a diversity of activities and that's very much sort of the trend i think in pubs today
2: let me check that i understood you correctly this is a truman's pub
3: Yes, it was built for Truman Hanbury Buxton originally and they were, they were great leaders in sort of interwar reformed pub design. They built about 150 of the sort of new style pubs um, between the walls, and many designed by Sewell, the architect who designed this, who was their sort of principal architect and he was a great leader in um, the sort of respectable, dignified architecture of the interwar
2: um, improved pub. There's something I was dying to... I realised I, it never got out on the last podcast, so I'm going to just uh, make amends for something that I should have more clearly described in the Ivy House podcast. In the conversation, you hear me talking to the chap there about a spittoon, and I realised I never described the spittoon, and apparently it's a signature Truman's Brewery spittoon. And you might think of a big bronze-coloured pot that people can hawk into, but actually it looked like a, a one-foot trough in front of the bar in black-and-white checkerboard tiles it looked like a very elegant step and, and of course as soon as you discover it's a spittoon you wouldn't want to step in that but it was an amazing uh, feature and i wonder what other features here let you know that this is a Sewell pub
3: well there's, there's a particularly lovely feature which is a rare survival in in this pub that's above our heads and that's the the
2: vitrolite ceiling oh right yes now what is vitrolite?
3: Vitrolite is an opaque kind of milky glass manufactured by Pilkingtons um, and it's it's quite shiny it looks sort of like um well it looks like glass really or a little bit like a sort of shiny linoleum on the ceiling and it's in a series of grids or panels um, it's kind of a reference to the earlier sort of pressed tin metal ceilings that you see in commercial buildings so it's here it's a lovely what color would you describe it as a sort of a um, milky it yellow be, It
1: should be brilliant white actually You oh, right. <laughs> so might, might have to go to work That's closer to lime than white <laughs> Well actually uh, it's a funny story uh, In about 1989 or something uh, we, uh, I think Arsenal just won the league And there was lots of sh- champagne stains on the ceiling So my granddad well, I think my mother never away. My granddad and I got the ladders out And we started to, to clean the champagne marks off off the ceiling and realized it wasn't this musky orangey color it was actually was indeed brilliant white so we obviously wiped one and then uh, we had to do the lot which was <laughs> pretty <laughs> great. well as you can see is over on that uh, in the what would have been the old off license once upon a time they've had a go there and i think they've given up so they've done half of it so or well, they've done a tenth of it uh, so they still work through. so it will be done again in fact, on the back of this, it will definitely. Be it's kind of got to be now, hasn't it? So it has to be. So he's actually, yes. The truth is, it should be brilliant white, not uh, not slightly off creamy colour.
0: Yeah. In
1: all seriousness, though, many years of smoking in
2: pubs must have done some serious damage to their stroke, particularly with your interests. Emily, in preserving the building and preserving the character of the building and uh, smoking ain't good for any of those things.
3: No, I guess it sort of adds, over the years it's kind of added a kind of patina or um, a sort of a quality that fits with what Martin was saying about this being a sort of homely, warm sort of pub. But yes, it probably, it's interesting, it would have been white, but it gives a lovely kind of modern, clean effect. And what's interesting about the pub is that it's, it's very much in what we call a Neo-Georgian style, um, which is sort of, was um, considered a very respectful, dignified kind of architecture. Looking back, to, you know, to previous yeah. centuries, um, but sort of slightly updated for the modern period. But the vitrolite ceiling really is is very modern. I mean, it was quite sort of cutting-edge um, material to use in that period, and the shininess that you can see as you look across the pub really makes it feel very up-to-date and modern for the 1930s, and clean as well, and that also fits with this idea of improved, improved pubs being respectable places, but also you know clean places where you know, families could, could sit and, and feel comfortable. I wonder how
1: many pubs have actually had it in and taken it out over the last... Uh, 75 years it'll be quite interesting tonight or 85 years yeah. because it is, a, it, is a, it adds a lot of value to this pub doesn't yes. it it looks fantastic and you're right if once cleaned and it's brilliant white it is a fantastic it's a fantastic attribute a- to the pub for mm. sure
3: it's very rare. I mean, there, there, there aren't many ceilings like this that survive, so it's lovely that you've, you've got it. And we d- definitely mentioned that in the listing. Um, listing is a way of recognising what's special about a building, so we record in the list entry what features are the most important ones to, to preserve and to maintain in terms of character. and That's certainly something that's mentioned in the list entry for, for this building.
2: Could we talk through those choices or, or the principles behind those? choices i wonder whether something that seems valuable now uh, whether there's any chance of the aesthetics of the day today being allowed to influence what is deemed to be important or not historically speaking how, how do you balance present tastes against um keeping things that might in the future seem to be important to, to future generations
3: yeah well, listing is a way of um, protecting and celebrating special architectural and historic interests. So when a building is listed, we, um, we do set out what's, what's special about it, both historically but also in terms of the building's fabric. Um, and we will mention in there what are original features, what are special features. And it's, it's a guide, really, for owners and for... Um, managers of buildings to to work out what should be kept so it doesn't mean a building can't ever change um, and it might be that there are certain features in here that in the future you you might want to alter and you would have a conversation with the local planning authority about what was appropriate to to change and and economic factors can come into play or social change can can be a factor at that point but when the building's listed we really describe it um, sort of as it is now and and why that's significant listing is really a way
2: of sort of recognizing significance. Could we think about uh, perhaps another of the pubs in London that's been recently listed and uh, what are the features there that stood out for you on, on the strength of which the pub was listed?
3: Um, well, most most of the London ones, certainly half of them are, are also Sewell pubs, and so they're similarly in a kind of neo-Georgian style. We haven't actually looked at the outside of this one, but many of them will have um, the same sorts of features that we see here, sort of big grand sash windows, windows. Um, sort of swag, little sort of strings of, of, of floral decoration um, this pub has a number of doors and windows and that's quite significant the other, other pubs that we've listed in London have those as well and they're important because they help to indicate or signify what was happening inside and how the, the internal kind of plan form and arrangements, how the building was used socially is reflected in the architecture and so that's a quite an important aspect of all the pubs that we've listed in London um, and one of the things that we look at in terms of listing is not only special architectural quality but also how well a building survives so that's a a really important factor particularly for public houses we look at you know what survives in terms of panelling fireplaces the the bar counter other sort of fixtures and fittings and this pub is is lovely because so much of those internal fittings survive there's a lot of um built-in inlaid work saying trumans and that's lovely because it gives a really strong kind of reference to the historic origins of the building
2: So one of the things I know that organisations that preserve buildings, historic buildings for the future, sometimes find themselves looking at is... Rather than the exceptional, the extremely ordinary, they might be looking at a typical council flat of a particular period and saying, OK, we need to preserve that so that we know what that looked like. Is there any danger by celebrating the interesting architecture and design of a Sewell that just really humdrum examples might get overlooked?
3: It's it's certainly something that we consider because we obviously want to represent the, the broad spectrum of history on the National Heritage List. So listing isn't just about celebrating the most Grand, important architectural examples. I mean, while, while this is a, a, a beautifully designed pub and was it was you know, quite well designed and well made, high quality materials for the time. It's not, you know, it's not the sort of grandest of commercial architecture. So it, it is, in a sense, representing um, ordinary life from the 1930s, but just in a particularly well preserved and beautifully made example. Um, what's really interesting about this pub, we could talk a little bit about the partitions and the fact that the different spaces were originally designed to to do different things and that's very well reflected in in the architectural fabric which survives and it's it's a nice way of being able to read the past being able to read ordinary life of the past through the building today and we're sitting in um we're sitting in the public public bar bar. exactly
1: actually it fascinates me actually that it was separated like you said earlier it was almost different class of people going to their own bar they knew where they should belong almost so this would be the public bar where we're sitting now and what was fascinating was because it was the workers and the, the lads would come into the public bar, but the beer was cheaper. So it was in the same space, but the beer was 10 or 20% cheaper. They would charge 10 or 20% cheaper. For the same beer? For the same beer, depending on where he was sitting in the pub. But it would have his own entrance. So as you can see, this pub's got uh, four different doors, and you'd have five bars in here. So you'd have, a, you'd, have a, you'd have a public bar, you'd have a snug. Apparently, the snug would be where sort of the landlord and his mates kind of hung out in that kind of area of the bar. I was probably a bit cliquey and probably a bit of a bore fest. That I'd probably best avoided. it. But that's where you'd go if you knew the landlord and he was a regular hardcore. And then you'd have the, the saloon or uh, the private bar, which would be one up from the public. Um, and then you'd have the lounge, where I think it was probably quite grand in his yeah. in day, wasn't it? So yeah. you'd come into, into the lounge. So if he was going out for dinner, maybe... Back in the day, you'd, uh, you'd go into the lounge bar. You might leave the, you might come back around, and I would come back around and all my beer in the public and go back into the lounge. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but of course, this, this bar here would serve five bars, as it were.
2: And, and the, the off-license off license as well. And off-license, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this place is, as the listener will have guessed from the description, it's very open now. Clearly the class distinctions, yeah. are, we would want them to be erased. We yes. don't want to believe that they're still going on. But is there any mileage, I wonder, in your mind, have you toyed with the idea of separating up bits of the pub to get them to do different things on the same night?
1: It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think you probably could. With a space, uh, this I mean, it's a, lot, it's a good-sized pub. It's a big pub, so you could, you probably could actually. And there are different walks of life. You know, I'm a, I'm a working-class lad, and but you know, I live in Stoke Newington. There's lots of sort of middle-class, uh, uh, well-to-do guys here, and and so it is, there is a mixed bag within. It is a melting pot of London after all, and we are the hub of the community. So. Uh, Whilst I prefer it being open planned, yeah, you probably could. You probably could turn this back into a public bar, and uh, certainly if the beer was cheaper, you'd probably get a few other lads in and boys and girls in who would who would prefer it. Yeah, I think there was probably mileage. Whether you'd want to go back there, no. I prefer the fact that the great thing about pubs is that it is a great melting pot, and and uh, your local. Scallywag could talk to the Lord of the Realm and they could sit next to each other at the bar and, and get on famously. And I, that's what I love about pubs. And that's what's great about Stoke Newington. And a lot that's great about London, personally, the fact that we all do mix together in the pubs. You know, that's what makes our pubs national treasures for me, is that we all can come together in a boozer uh, for whatever your history is and enjoy a pint of beer together. So, I, So for me, whilst I think you probably could do that, I prefer... The fact that it's open plan and it's probably it's become open plan for a reason. You know, the idea of having five different bars or five different depends on what your mood is and what sort of, you know, where you go to work is a bit dragonia really. So the fact that it is open plan, I think, speaks, speaks uh, volumes about the way London is today. So I think it's a good thing. Well, where can I stick a break in just there we're going to get On that we're,
2: we're going to <laughs> we're going to find out what our sponsor has to say and please, do do uh, support the sponsor please because they're uh, keeping us doing what we're doing uh we're going to be back after that and we'll be talking a little bit more about stoke newington i think and also about the organization that is looking after uh, buildings from the past and making sure that they continue to be buildings from the present
1: We have teamed up with audible.co.uk to offer you a free audiobook of your choice. All you have to do is register for one month free trial to claim your free audiobook. There are over 150,000 to choose from. The 30-day free trial means you can choose a free audiobook which is yours to keep whether or not you decide to cancel in the trial period. And there's more good news. If you trialed the service over 12 months ago, the good people at Audible are giving you a chance to get your hands on another audiobook for free. So sign up at www.audible.co.uk forward slash Londonist. Londonist Out Loud is free every week. You can support the show.
3: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync,
0: things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.
1: where you'll find excellent gift ideas, including London postcard T-shirts, the secrets of the Tube DVD, chunky logo mugs, tote bags, hoodies, the Inspector Sands tea, and the Londonist Oyster card holder. Treat yourself, support us and share your love of London at londonist.com shop.
2: You're listening to Londonist Out Loud, I'm Anne Quentin Wolfe, with me Martin Harley, the landlord of the Crown here in Stoke Newton, and Emily G of Historic England. And the phrase I'm not allowed to use on the podcast is... <laughs> we can't even say it. It's like the name of he who cannot be named.
3: No, not, not allowed at all, but um, we were talking about the fact that the organisation English Heritage... Um,
2: was... do, you, do you know what? A load of interference just kicked in on the mic at that point. It might be that we're you got to find it. Oh, yes. Uh... <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's, just,
3: it's a corporate It's a corporate thing.
2: Who, is it Historic England that was calling you just then? Um, no, I think it might have been the, the minicab, actually. Oh, OK. <laughs> I, I imagine. They really are policing this. I, just... I think you should go deeper in that one. Yeah, yeah, there's you something know, suspicious. It's, it's, it's really
3: not an issue. I mean, it, it's... Um, but I can, I can I'm intrigued myself. Yeah.
2: <laughs> So, yeah, so what, <laughs> what is the deal there with the change of name? What's happened? All
3: right, So um, so I work for Historic England, which is an arm's length body. We work for the Department for Culture, Media and Sport. Um, and we do an, a number of different functions, one of which is listing, um, but also research and policy and planning um, issues. And we, we used to be part of English Heritage, um, had been for, for over 20 years. But in, in April, the organization split into two. So English Heritage still exists as an organization, but that's now a charity. And that looks looks after the historic properties that are in our care and guardianship so in London for example Kenwood House um, is is cared for by English Heritage and we are now called Historic England so there's the functions of Split but we continue to be um, obviously friends and brothers and sisters alongside each other but doing different sorts of work but all, all towards supporting the historic environment as a whole.
2: And what have you got your eye on in London? I, I know uh, maybe this might be a sensitive question. I know anything to do with uh, planning and uh, people buying and selling property in the capital always uh, comes with non-disclosures and things like that. So as far as you're able to say, what sort mm-hmm. of thing have you got your eye on preserving in uh, the capital at the moment?
3: Right. Um, well, in, in listing, we do two different strands of work. One is that we're still very responsive. So if a building or a site is under threat and if it's significant, then, then we, we will turn to look at it as soon as we can and to, to say whether or not it should be protected. So we will always continue to have that kind of responsive function. Um, it's something that as an organisation we've, we've always been set up to do to um, to protect things that need protecting. Um, but we also um, do much more strategic work these days. So we look at thematic projects like, for example, the Interval Public House um, and a number of other projects to help to provide a national context from which we can protect the best examples before they're threatened and help to, um, to provide clarity and certainty for owners. So at the moment, um, we do work across all different types of you know, buildings, landscapes, archaeology. But at the moment, we're looking um, at a number of... Um, well, a project on post-war public sculpture, um, which, again, is something which is is much loved. It's, it's um public sculpture, is something that enlivens the the public and civic realm for all of us and we all sort of love um, the, the importance of art in the public realm but it is under threat um, it can be removed it can be vandalized it can be sold um, so we're looking at post-war sculpture in particular across across the country but um, much of that of course is in London um, and it's something that we hope to mark with um, an exhibition a public exhibition early in 2016 and we will announce um, a batch of listings at, at that time as well like we did with the interwar pubs
2: how does it work? Is there a set of qualifying features about a place that would automatically gain it some sort of protection? You know, maybe its age or it having been designed by a particular person or some other feature.
3: Well, as I mentioned before, listing is is broadly about special architectural and historic interest. So those are the words that appear in the in the Planning Act. Um, but obviously, that has different manifestations depending on on what the what the building or or site or structure is. Um, so the types of things we take into account are, as you say, age. You know, the older something is, the more likely is to be listed we're much stricter about um, buildings that date from after 1945 for example Um, but age is a a big factor also architectural quality is an important consideration Um, the the caliber importance of the designer of the architect how well it survives we look at how buildings have changed over time and that the more the better surviving a building is like the rose and crown for example then it's more likely to be listed if it also has architectural quality or historic interest and it's worth pointing out that we do also um recommend and buildings are listed for their special historic interest even if it's less um less well surviving or less important architecturally um and you might be aware of the Royal Vauxhall Tavern the the pub that was listed recently in in Vauxhall which um, is a a smart mid-19th century pub um, wouldn't quite have been listable for that alone although it does have architectural quality but the reason that we recommended it is for for that in tandem with its importance as one of the earliest um, and most important LGBTQ pubs in the capital so that's a way of reflecting special historic interest on the National Heritage List as well which um, is an important aspect of things as well.
2: well. What I don't think I've heard in your answer is Senators though those qualities mean that it moves up the table for discussion but it didn't sound as though there's an automatic listing function uh, you know for example if something's older than 500 years old then it automatically gets listed there's nothing like that
3: it's not automatic no i mean it's more likely that the older something is the more likely it will be listable um but we we don't just go around sort of mm. automatically looking at things it depends on either sites that are brought to our attention so if something's under threat then that will trigger an assessment an assessment of course is you know, the process of going through checking how something sits against the, the criteria um, we publish a number of what we call selection guides online which are really accessible documents on every type of building which sets out the kinds of things we look for so there is one for example on commercial buildings which talks about what we look for in a pub when we're seeing if it should be so listed how much
1: was, was this triggered by the fact that the two property developers just turned up one afternoon and knocked that pub down in northwest london I mean, was that a was that a trigger for actually we have to we have to preserve our pubs here. I mean, I know you know for me whilst you know I'm I'm delighted of the listing, you know it adds security for the Rosen Crown. You know i you know like I say my family's been here 30 years and I hope it, you know, well, whilst I may not be here for 30 years, uh, I hope the pub's still here in 30 years' time. Uh, which is very important, but I just wonder if that was was that a focal point. I mean, did that sort of awaken people to say, actually, we need to do something about it here. You can't just come and knock your local boozer down because you want to build a uh, six flats there or a, or a supermarket.
3: Um. Yes, I mean that the, the pub, which the, the Carlton Tavern you're talking yeah. about in, in Maiderville yeah. which was, um, was demolished. It was a building that we were looking at as part of the project. Right. Um, so, as I mentioned before, one of the triggers for the for the research project as a whole was the, the threat and vulnerability to the building type, um, and that's a, a sort of prime yeah. example of really. While the project yeah. was underway, that the pub was demolished, we were assessing it for listing. Um, and yes, it's, All a, right, it's so an illustration. Was al- it was
1: already it was already underway to look at listing the pubs. Okay. Yeah. It must be a competitive
2: category then. Pubs seem to be being redeveloped into bedsits or flats. Uh, they seem to be going under fast.
3: Well, in terms of in terms of what what would be listable, it has to be special nationally. So um, we would, it's a, it's, a, it's very selective. Um, so not not automatically every pub for the would be. We'd be protected, as I say. About 3,000 were built, and we've just there maybe you know, fewer than 100 on the national list. So it's um, it's selective in that sense. We have to compare one to another, and they have to be really good architecturally and, and surviving well and historically important to be listed.
2: Of those 3,000 that were built, how many survive? Oh, there's nothing worse than being put on the spot. Yeah, oh, yeah sorry. <laughs> I,
3: I, I don't. I don't have a figure, but it's a. It's a. It's a relatively small number. I think that's the, what the importance of the research was: is it identified how prolific it was as a new building type between the walls, but that very few survive, and of those that survive, very few are special enough be listed and obviously buildings are important that aren't listed as well but that's it's a way of um, maintaining special character Um, other buildings will be will be locally listed um, pubs in particular and there's a um, assets of community value is it is a new designation which has come in which is a way of Communities identifying what's important to them locally, even if it's not special enough to be listed, it's a way of thinking, particularly about change of use, which is something you mentioned. Preserving pubs as as pubs rather than as, of other new building types. And,
2: and this acts as a nudge, as a bit of a lever. But is there a legal status attached to? It?
3: Yeah, it's, it's 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 a designation within the planning system. So it's it's a local designation. It's something. I think, given, local. I, think
1: uh, I think the community are given six months uh, to find a buyer or to buy it themselves. Uh, so there's, there's that window where you can say, actually, we'll give it asset of community value, like you are And it's yeah. council-driven, government-driven. And they will give the community, as it were, six months to find a buyer. So if, you do, if everyone's screaming, shouting from the rooftops about they want to keep their pub open, well, go on then, keep it open. So you get six months to either find a buyer, run it yourself. Not that I would recommend sort of, the whole community running it. I don't think that would work personally. But, you know, to find an operator or sort of, a landlord or a publican to go in and operate it. So it is giving, you know this asset of community value I think it's really important for pubs because often you will find pubs are just being turned in a heartbeat because you know a pub like this for example is a great building you know I would love to own the building we don't own the the lease but you know it's a great building and a great site in London it's a big pub now as a as a property play the guys would tell you you know you could build 15 flats, or it would be a great Tesco's metro, or whatever it might may be. So the fact that it's going to stay, and this listed thing for me gives it security. And I, I think that's what's really really important about this as, as well. Whether our landlords are, are as happy as I am about it, I, I don't know, because maybe I'm not sure if it, it deflects value or not. But certainly, as a as a as a pub, um, this will now remain. I believe this remains as a pub right because it's now listed. So you can't become a supermarket chain overnight. So uh,
2: well, we're, we're scathing over that, though. Is that actually the case? Does it have to remain uh, used for the same purpose?
3: It, it doesn't have to. I right. mean, it, it, obviously, we, we say that the best purpose for a listed building is the the original purpose, the original right. function. Sure. Um, it doesn't mean that a building can't change, mm. but obviously uh, what's significant about this building, in part, is the architecture on the outside, but also the architecture on the inside. So we've been very clear about internal partitions, fixtures, fittings that are special the bar counter for example so were in the future this or another listed pub to be under Consideration for a change of use, then that would be a, a really important question to, for the owner to weigh up with the local authority about what change could happen. And it might be that that's considered, you know, the decision that it would be completely inappropriate to remove all of the internal fixtures and fittings, which because they are special architecturally, so it's not something that listing um, right. provides a mandate for, but it's certainly an
1: important, an important factor. You wouldn't get many brides in the Tesco, would you, <laughs> or a <swordman. laughs> right. Here she is, looking lovely in, a, in, a, in the rose
2: Boozer. Well, we've been recording as, as though by way of illustrating. The community uses available to a pub, and this is at 11 o'clock in the morning. A bride in her full bridal regalia has come in and she's being photographed at the bar counter.
1: Is this a regular occurrence? Actually, it is, funny enough. We're, we're fortunate enough to be uh, opposite the town hall, Staten Island Town Hall, and next to a church. Uh, so, we and of course, we have a beautiful uh, six bedroom uh, boutique guest house upstairs, so it's an ideal place to come and and. Put the family up and uh, get married across the road and uh, come down and have a few uh, sherbets along the way. That's our ideal. Actually, they're looking they're looking very lovely and the flowers are very nice too. On it's uh, now we do actually we do lots of weddings. We, we're we're a uh, we're a big fan we're a big fan of weddings and uh, they're probably all staying upstairs as well, which is which is great.
2: So I'm worried that we've uncovered a potential pitfall in this listing scheme, which it sounds like if somebody who bought this place to live in is prepared to do so with the bar counter intact and the place still looking like a pub. I mean, it would be a weird person who did that, but it sounds as yeah. though the pub trade within it is not uh, preserved.
1: Well, actually, that's interesting, just uh, li- listening to Emily there, when she said, actually, it doesn't need still to be a pub. So uh, my, my thinking about it, it was... Uh, Believing that it was, as if it's listed, then it should remain a a pub. So that's that's interesting, and I'm sure there's plenty of ways around it. Hopefully, um, hopefully it's all about the local community, and because I was mentioned earlier about the the asset of community value, it does indeed, I believe, has to stay as 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 it is. So hopefully, there's enough there's enough people that you know love this pub and their own local boozers up and down the country that will will fight for them. Uh, they are. I think our, our local boozers are so important to the community. I really do. I mean, a lot of people come out late at night, might be by themselves. You know, they can't go anywhere else, but they come to their local pub. And I think it's, uh, you know, it, it adds so much weight to the community. I, I think we should fight for them. I, I, I'm a big fan. We're not going anywhere. We've been here, for, like I say, the family's been here for 30 years. Hopefully we'll be here for another 30 years. As far as, as, far as change of use goes, um, I'm sure there's some... Scrooper's characters that would like to change it into... I'm not sure. What, what do you think this could be, apart from a boozer? What else could it be? With the bar counter intact. With the bar
2: counter intact, OK. Well, uh, OK, I think it should be a model railway shop. That's interesting. I think I, mean, I would because it's a nice big curved bar. I would run my N gauge railway around there. I think all by yourself. Yeah, just all you, just me. Just and I'd, I'd be wearing my uh, my little peaked uh,
1: train driver's hat. But you'd be damned to take the beer tum- pumps out. You leave a couple of beer pumps in, surely, so you could still pour yourself a beer while you do it.
2: Well, maybe I will turn those into speed controllers.
1: But <laughs> the old hand pumps, maybe we not the old ones. You get rid of the old ones. Keep the hand pumps. Keep <laughs> the old ones. <laughs> Or maybe
2: we just leave it as a pub. For what, What's going on? Uh, do you, as a landlord, do you get the chance to talk to other landlords much? Or are you kind of shut off from each other by your work?
1: No, not really. I think it's, uh, we're quite certainly in the, uh, we've got a, a craft beer pub down the road, the Jolly Butchers. And, and in the craft beer game, it's, uh, you know, we're all in, all for one and one for all, pretty much. Uh, especially the young brewers that are coming in now, the artisan young brewers. Uh, it's a big scene and everyone looks out for each other. Uh, I mean, the, the craft beer scene's gone crazy in the last five or six years, and um, you know, many, many, many brewers, many pubs. So it is tricky for everybody. Don't get me wrong; it's a real, it's a, it's a competitive market. But I think it's it's such that everyone kind of everyone's in it together, and everyone's looking f- for to to brew great beer, better beer all the time. So it is a. Whilst there is a competitive edge to other publicans and, and, and owners that I know. I certainly get on with everyone I've ever come across in the, in the business, and it is, because it's a tough game, see, because it is a tough business it's a hard game, there's lots of legislation involved, um, I, I think it's better to be able to lean on, there's lots of bodies you can go to there's lots of uh, conferences that you, we, all, we all tend to, to go to, to meet up and discuss uh, pitfalls and problems and lots of whinging. you would always hear Republicans whinging because there's lots of whinge about think? <laughs> But uh, there is, if you get it right, I mean, it can be a, it can be a good business. Since the
2: country shook its piggy bank a few years ago and discovered there wasn't very much in there, the luxury end of things seems to have... It seems perverse, but it's prospered uh, right across the board. Mm. And the, the bottom end, so, you know, the really cheap, so pile them high, sell them cheap, businesses have done well. And it's been the middle market that's seems to have suffered the most. Has that been reflected in the pub track?
1: Well, I'm not sure. I think we are, because I'd say we'd probably, we're in the middle there somewhere. I mean, we, you know, our, our, our food is generally around about the 10 a mark, which I think is reasonable. We don't charge £16 for a main, which you can do, but I think you've got to be fantastic. If I'm paying £16 for a main meal anywhere, it's got to be fantastic, especially if, if I'm in a pub. So, you know, so we charge around about a 10 a mark. Um, I don't think so. I think if you're good and you offer different things, uh, it's all about the offer. Pretty much. I mean, we're like I say, we've you know, if you don't, if you, you're not offering anything new, anything different, then you've got to be bloody good at uh, you know. We're lucky here because we offer good beer, good wine, a good ambience, and that's what's the key. However, if you are opening a pub tomorrow. At it, maybe a wee bit out of town or you've got, to, you've got to be good at what you do you've got to offer great food, you've got to a great beer, great service, it's more than just opening the pub, if anyone thinks about the idea of just opening the booze, I'm going to go and open a pub tomorrow, right? forget it, you know, know your business, know what you're going to sell, know you, who you're targeting, who's your target audience and what do you want to sell, what are you going to sell, who are you going to sell it to, so it's not just a case of opening up and selling the same old big brews anymore, you know, the, the big pub companies and the big brewers yeah, Londoners are more discerning, and we've got social media now. People are more discerning than they've ever been. People's taste buds—you know—they want to try new things, they want to try different things. So that's why, for example, we have a pub down the road with 25 different beers on the bar. We change them daily, we change them weekly, and people are coming in trying new brews, new stuff every day of the week. You can't just—you know—people are not coming in for the old school sort of light and bitters anymore. You know, they want more than that, and I think
2: that's a good thing because it keeps everyone on their toes. You said something there that sent a chill through me and i want to react to what my body was telling me there and it was about if you were opening up a pub yeah and just the thought of that i mean i know for instance that opening a restaurant is notoriously full of jeopardy you're unlikely to survive is the the fact of the matter opening up a pub with all the overheads and staff costs there that seems even less likely unless you're coming in to run a pub that already exists or You're part of some bigger organisation that's can yeah. back you up During the first few Who starts their own pub from scratch Does anyone do that? They do. Really?
1: However, I would suggest don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. Uh, it's hard. I mean, my, you know, like I say, my parents got in the game 30 years ago. I mean, they they, they long retired to Spain 15 years ago, but, uh, but they got in the game. and, it's, and we, So we struggled through. I struggled through. Uh, me and my wife struggled through in the early days, and it's a long process. I mean, we've got six pups now, but we, we ran one for 12 years, morning, noon and night. took very, very few holidays. And it's only now we've kind of you know, 18 years on, where we we're doing okay, and we can we have managers, and life's better than it's ever been. But it's a long process to get where we're, where we are now. You've got to kind of do the hard yards, and you've got to you've got to put in a shift or two. So I wouldn't really recommend it. I think it's, the problem is with this game is lots of legislation. You've got E H O, you've got police, you've got fire brigade. You've got councils. You've got, you know, every government body is kind of breathing down your neck. So there's lots to think about. And just when you've covered all those bases, you've then got sort of uh, a pub to open and a pub to close seven days a week. Oh yes, there's that as well. Just yeah, just on top of it. <laughs> so yeah, and then you get, then not to mention people might have too much to drink, and then you've got to get rid of them late at night. And it's never ending. It's never ending. So I don't want to sound like the voice of doom on this, but uh, yeah, it's a tricky business, and I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't jump in to feed first readily, easily. Would you you do it again or would you make a different choice? I didn't have too many choices so it was kind of useful. I've had a great time and I'm a people person so I've enjoyed looking after people, I've enjoyed hosting and I think if you're a good mind host and you enjoy hosting looking after people um, because that's the key to it. If you're, not, if you're not a people person if you don't enjoy actually making sure people are having a nice time, then it could be a bit tricky, then you're probably going to struggle a wee bit but I enjoy looking after people, I enjoy seeing people have a good time, they leave their pubs going, I've had a really great time it's a really nice pub, blah 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 and I think a pub, you, you get a feel for a pub when you walk in um, who runs it What's, what, you know, what their personality, I think it's very important that you put your own personality across in a pub you know, whilst we have different pubs with different personalities they are. They are. They all. They all have. You know, an ethos behind them, which is good beer, good atmosphere, and uh, it's all about the the ambience and the company and the people that are drinking in there, rather than imposing some loud music or some big screens. And we kind of shy away from that. Really, we try and keep it quite simple. Now, I wonder,
2: with that in mind, with um, a bunch of different pubs up yeah. your sleeve, with different personalities, does yeah. that mean that? Each of the pubs reflects a different bit of your personality, or are there is there one that you feel much more at home? Really
1: good question actually. Well look, I've um well we've been in the restaurant for 18 years, so that's kind of probably my is more my personality. Having said that, I'm a bit of a beer geek on the on the QT, so um, the Jolly Butchers is my baby as well because of, you know, of uh, of my love for sort of craft beer or good beer. It doesn't have to be craft beer necessarily, just of, of good beer. So yeah, you're probably right. And of course this is this is I love. This pub I love because it's in the family. It's been in the family thirty years. So, so yeah. There's probably there is a lot of that actually. It, it, it is about your personality. And I think if you were to get into the business, I think you, it's got to be about what you love and you have got to be about what you like. Trying to pretend you're, you know, running a pub that actually actually's not got your feel, your your take on it is probably the wrong way to do it. So, um, it's a bit like having a restaurant. You know, being and trying to sort of run a Chinese restaurant when when you're from India, maybe it probably wouldn't work. So, I, I guess. Um, well, uh, well, there's a place in Walthamstow which would take issue with that. Actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, that was a bad example of it, in that case. I suppose the point I'm trying to make is, yeah, you've got to, you've got to be comfortable with what you do. If you're, if you're a sports knight, you might want to run a sports bar, and I understand that, and that's, you know, that's great. I, I love sports, but I don't really want to put it in, in, in the pubs because I don't think it's what, uh, what, what we're about. So, yeah, no, I think it is... Uh, the personality-wise is... Uh, you're probably right, yeah, you probably nailed me on that one. Uh, well, uh, having nailed the landlord, I'm now going.
2: <laughs> no, you can't finish a podcast like that. that sounds awful. <laughs> Let's try that again.
1: <laughs> All right. Taxi for one.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly, please. <flip. laughs> uh, well, on that uh, on that note, just and only because the clock tells us uh, we're coming to the end of the show,
1: we've got to take our leave. Uh, Jolly Butchers is where? It's on Stone High Street. Uh, ah, so you're keeping it very local. Yeah, we're local, yeah. We've, we've also got the, uh, the Crown and Anchor in Brixton, which is also a sister pub to the Jolly Butchers, which is also a fabulous uh, craft beer pub as well, yeah.
2: And then there's the Rose and Crown here where we've recorded, and uh, if you want to attempt a sighting of Martin Harley, then you know where to go. For today, though, we've got to call it a day. Emily G and Martin Harley, thanks very much.
3: Great, thank you very much for having me in this lovely building.
2: Thanks, Wayne. so far away. That's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Emily G and Martin Harley. Thanks to to Mark Barr and Bernie Barkley. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm in Quentin Wolf.